Amen. That was good singing. It's great to hear you singing out the praises of the Lord. We're going to unite together now in prayer. Let us each one just still our hearts together. Our loving God and our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee this evening that we can lift our hearts to Thee in the attitude of prayer. And we thank Thee, our Father, that as we come, that we come by that new and living way that was opened for us at the place called Calvary. And we thank Thee, our Father, for the willingness of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ to go forth and even there outside the city wall of Jerusalem to lay down his life that he might take it again. And we praise thee that he had the victory at Calvary over sin and death and hell, and he rose triumphantly from the grave. He lives in the power of an endless life, and we read in thy word that he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. And we pray tonight, our Father, that our hearts would be encouraged as we would come together as a band of thy redeemed and blood-bought children. And grant, O God, that our hearts tonight would be filled with praise. Our hearts would be enlarged in love for the one who first loved us. And we pray tonight that each one would know the cleansing power of the Savior's precious blood. We confess, O God, our oft-times weakness. We confess our shortcomings and our sin. And we ask tonight, our Father, that we would be drawn afresh to thyself and we would prove the value, the efficacy of the Saviour's precious blood. And even tonight, our Father, thou knowest the hearts of thy children that have gathered here. Some hearts, O God, that would hang down tonight some hearts that would be burdened. And we ask, O God, that thou thyself would come and that we would prove afresh that burdens are lifted at Calvary and that Jesus is very near. There may be a heart tonight, O God, in need of direction, seeking thy face. And we pray, O God, that thou wouldst be pleased to guide and to direct our steps. We've been exhorted in thy word to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, to lean not on to our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge thee, and thou hast promised to direct our paths. Give, O God, we pray, that needed direction tonight, and instruct each one of us in the things of God, and may we know what it is, our Father, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. Bless tonight thy servant that has joined with us. And we do thank thee, our Father, for the grace of God in his life and even for his service and his work for the Lord. And we pray that thou wouldst bless him, O God, and prosper the work of the Trinitarian Bible Society. And we thank thee for the word of God that has gone out. We do praise thee, our Father, for the vision even to spread that word. And we know that without a vision, the people perish. And we pray that thou wouldst continue to supply the need. Continue, O God, to open up those doors of opportunity. And may the word of God go forth as that good seed of the gospel. And all we pray, our Father, that we would see the evidence and we would hear the reports 
that a great harvest of souls have been drawn in. We do pray our God tonight as our brother would come to open up the scriptures that he would know help from heaven. Fill him with the Holy Spirit of God and even this night our Father that we each would hear uh, with profit and with blessing to our hearts. We do remember the wider witness of our church and denomination, and we pray for it, O God, at this time, that I would be pleased to use us as an instrument in the hand of the Lord for good, and that I would strengthen our stakes and lengthen our cords, and that the glorious light of the gospel of Christ might shine brightly forth. Father, hear our prayer. Do come and touch those that tonight would be shut in, those are Father who would struggle even physically. We do pray for thy hand to be upon them and for others, O God, that would sorrow, bind up the brokenness of their hearts, we pray. And grant our Father we would know that thou hast heard and answered prayer. So our eyes are heavenward. Our expectation is from the Lord. Come, O God, and minister to us this night. We offer our prayer in the Saviour's great name. Amen. Let us further praise the Lord with the hymn 519. 519. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore, but to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. 519. Let's have good singing once again.
As we take our seats together once again, I want to give you all a warm welcome tonight, and we do thank you for coming out, and we're delighted to see so many that have gathered in this evening. We're encouraged in the Lord, and we did announce on the Lord's Day that it is a deputation on behalf of the Trinitarian Bible Society, and we have the deputation secretary tonight, the Reverend Craig Dennison, and so we welcome our brother, and he's going to come to open the scriptures and also bring a report to us this evening. You're very welcome, Craig. Well, can I thank the Reverend Kenny for the invitation and the word of welcome. It's a pleasure to be back with you again and share with you an update on the work of the Society. And we're very encouraged to say since the last time I was here and shared a report with you that the Lord has undertaken in mighty ways. And you'll hear something of that this evening. Well, uh, in the time that uh, I have... I would like to, first of all, uh, turn to the Word of God, and we're turning to Ephesians chapter 6 this evening. Ephesians chapter 6, and after a brief scripture message, I'd like to uh, share with you some of the core activities of the society, who we are and what we do. And then some updates on two of our translation projects. There's 61. I'll not give you an update on all 61 here tonight. But two of them, the Bemba and the Turkish. And then some distribution reports, uh, an insight to our scripture posters. And then some brief news and prayer requests. Well, Ephesians chapter 6, we read from the verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that ye, may be, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And we'll end our reading there at the end of verse 18, looking to the Lord for his blessing upon the word. I'd like to leave with you for a few moments some of the words of verse 17. Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation and... The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he reminds them of something that's very important. Something that you won't hear uh, an awful lot about today in many churches. Paul writes to remind them that they are in a spiritual battle. Many today 
will tell you once you become a Christian that you don't have any problems, that your life will be rosy and easy and uh, a lovely flower-strewn pathway until you reach heaven. And But the Apostle Paul paints a very different picture whenever he writes to the believers at Ephesus. He doesn't seek to dramatize his letter. He doesn't think, well, how can I grab their attention? How can I make this more interesting? No, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's God, the Holy Ghost, who has moved Paul to write to these believers and tell them that they are in a spiritual battle. Now, what was written aforetime was written for our learning. And as this is true for the church of Ephesus, it's true for us today. Look at the exhortation Paul gives in verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't say trust in your own strength. Trust in the strength and the ability of the church. No, he says, look to the Lord, be strong in him. And then he gives them instruction. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't say, put on one or two pieces of the armor of God. Pick your favorite pieces, the pieces that aren't too heavy, the bits that you like that are fashionable and trendy. Pick them. No, Paul said, put on the whole armor. He says to these believers, you need the whole armor of God. The helmet alone won't do. You need it all. It might be heavy. It might be weighty. It might be burdensome at times. But you need the whole armor. And then he gives them the reason for it. He says in verse 11, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What Paul is inferring here is that if they don't have on the whole armor, they won't be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. They need the whole armor of God to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he gives them that reminder in verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, there's a battle that rages that our eyes don't even see, a spiritual battle where the forces of darkness do seek our downfall. Peter wrote something similar in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And of course, Satan seeks to cause unbelief in each of our hearts. He would seek to have us to curse God like he wanted Job to do. He would seek to take us away from following God faithfully and from obeying God's precious word. He would cause us to doubt our salvation and he would remind us day and daily of our sin. There is such a thing as spiritual warfare. Every Christian in every age will face this warfare. And every Christian needs to put on the whole armor of God. Well, the Apostle Paul uses the imagery of the soldier. And that's something that the church at Ephesus would have been familiar with. The Roman soldier was something they would have seen. They would have been familiar with the whole um, outfit. But he focuses on one piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit. And that's what I want to mention just briefly for a few moments here tonight. I have five headings, but don't be put off by that. We'll get through it quite quickly. First of all, notice the provision of the sword. What uh, the apostle says And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to say, which is the Word of God. 
Because if the Holy Spirit did not move Paul today to write that, I dread to think what people would tell us today the sword of the Spirit is. But it's laid out for us very clearly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The provision of the sword, the provision of the Word. Well, how did the Word come to be? Well, that's a whole message in itself, but summarizing it very quickly. The Apostle Paul said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Apostle Peter says, holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Word of God is breathed out from the mouth of God. The human writer recorded not just the general thought, but every word of God. And not only has God given the Word, but God has preserved the word. Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words. Thou shalt preserve them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation and from ever and forever. These three fundamental pillars underpin the word of God, inspiration, inerrancy, and preservation. If God has not inspired the word, then we don't have the word of God. If this book is not inerrant, then it's not the word of God because anything that comes from God's mouth is holy and perfect and pure. And if God has not preserved his word, then dear friend, we can trust what we hold in our hands today. So God has provided the sword of the spirit. And I say he has given the sword exclusively. It does not say God has provided us with the sword of science the sword of carnal wisdom, of good works, of self-righteousness, or dreams and visions. No, problems come to your friend when we set down the sword and we pick up our own blunt instrument. God has given exclusively the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And why has he given it to us? He has given it to us for our spiritual warfare. So we can't claim to be helpless We can't claim that God has not provided some means for us. We have the sword of the Spirit for the spiritual battle. But sadly today there's many professing Christians and they look anywhere for help but the Bible. They turn to self-help books to try and encourage them in their Christian journey. They go and listen to motivational pep talks rather than the sound preaching of the word. God has provided for you and I the provision of of the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We don't need anything else. Secondly, the purity of the sword. The sword that God has given us is a pure sword. I was uh, looking into some of the swords that are made here on earth, and apparently the Japanese have some excellent swordsmiths, and there's uh, one particular brand of Japanese sword, I couldn't uh, even try to pronounce it, but apparently they take such care in the preparing of their swords that they put the metal into the fire to purify it, they bring it out, they fold it, and they repeat this process 17 times so that the metal is uh, free of impurities and the sword is of excellent strength. Well, dear friend, we cannot claim that God has given us an impure sword, a blunt sword. Psalm 12, again, a great psalm, says the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, thou hast purified them, Thou hast purified them seven times. The psalmist here is illustrating just how pure this is. Think about it rationally. Can impure words come out of the mouth of a holy and pure God? Of course not. 
It, it, it would defy logic. It would defy God's very being if he spoke impure words. So therefore, the word of God is a pure word. Now, sadly, there are those today and they deny that we have the pure word of God. They say it was pure whenever God gave it in the originals. But oops, we've lost the originals. We're now left with a jigsaw puzzle that we're trying to piece together. Well, we reject that nonsense. And so did the framers of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Chapter 1, verse 8. They wrote that the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek being immediately inspired by God, and here's the important phrase, and by his singular care and providence, kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. Our Westminster divines, as we do today, I trust, they believe that God not only gave the word, but he has preserved the word, kept pure in all ages. And we, of course, attest to that, that in the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek Textus Receptus, we have the pure word of God. And in the English authorized version, we have the most faithful and accurate translation. Sadly, today, there are some who are operating uh, with Bibles that they themselves admit uh, that they're not sure that they're the word of God. That is why in many Bible translations, there are verses that are missing. I was uh, in a Christian bookshop uh, recently and I was uh, speaking to the man uh, uh, about a, a certain Bible and he says, you know, I've often wondered whenever I read my NIV uh, why the end of the Lord's prayer is not there for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, do you know why it's not in the NIV? And I thought, well, this is great. I hope you've got 10 minutes to sit here and listen uh, while I explain why it's not in your NIV. But there's many people today and they don't realize or they don't know why verses are missing in their modern Bible translations. And it's because not all Bibles are translated from the same Hebrew and Greek texts. The authorized version, as all the great Bibles of the Reformation, come from the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek Textus Receptus. But many of the modern Bible translations do not come from those they come from completely different texts with thousands of differences and thousands of changes. But we have before us tonight the pure word of God, providentially preserved and kept pure in all ages. And moving on quick, we thought of the provision of the sword, the purity of the sword. Think thirdly of the purpose of the sword. This isn't a call to physical violence. In fact, Christ rebuked Peter when he took the sword to Malchus. He told him to put away or put again thy sword into its place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. This is a sword that is given for our spiritual battle, for our spiritual welfare here in life. A sword has two purposes. First of all, a sword is to protect you from the attacks of the enemy. And that's what we are to do. We're to repel the enemy with the word of God. James 4 verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how do we do that? We do that by arming ourselves with the word of God, by wielding the sword of the spirit. What did our Lord Jesus Christ do in his temptation? Matthew 4 verse 4. Every time the devil came to Christ, he misquoted scripture. Well, how did Christ answer him? By quoting scripture. That's what we're to do. So a sword's to protect. A sword is also to attack or to advance. And can I say this is the only weapon in the Christian's armor for advancement. There's no other uh, piece of the armory is for advancing. 
by the, by the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, the kingdom of Christ advances. God has given us this book to advance his kingdom. By this sword, reformations come and revivals come also. It was Martin Luther, as he stood against the might of Romanism, all he had was the word of God. And he said, here I stand on the word of God. I can do no other. It is by this sword that uh, the uh, church of Christ uh, goes forward. Moving on quickly. Fourthly, the power of the sword. There's many swords in this world and they might look very fancy, but there's no power in them. But there, there's power in the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's power in God's word. Power to make, or, or there's power to convict a sinner and to make them tremble before the word of God. There's power to take one who is living a wicked and vile and immoral life and to bring them to new life in Jesus Christ. There's power to break down the proud and stubborn and rebellious heart and bring them into Christ's kingdom. There's power in God's word. We saw that in the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people converted under the preaching of the word. The early church, they went everywhere preaching, the Lord working with them. And what was the accusation? These men have turned the world upside down. And they, dear friends, they didn't have money. They didn't have great instruments. They weren't able to put on barbecues and family fun days to try and win people around. All they had was the word of God. And it was quick. And it was powerful. But the sword and the spirit work together in unity. Think about it. The Bible by itself is ink upon a page. That's all it is. There's many people who have read the Bible, memorized the Bible, tried to live the Bible, but yet have been lost for all eternity. Because as well as the word going forward, the spirit needs to accompany the word. The apostle, and likewise, the spirit cannot work where the word is not present. The Apostle Paul said, how can they believe on him of whom they have not heard? Very simply, they can't. The Holy Spirit cannot regenerate and quicken and effectually call a sinner if they've never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Spirit and the Word work together. Well, dear friends, to be effective with the sword, we must be familiar with it. I'm quite confident that a Roman soldier running out into battle will not have picked up that sword for the first time as he runs out to face the enemy. He would have practiced with it. He would have been familiar with it. That sword would have been an extension of his arm. And so it is for the sword to be effective in our lives. We must be familiar with it. The sword that has sat in the car door that we only pick up on the way out to church is of no use to us. No, dear friend, we must be those who are familiar with our sword. Third, or fifthly and finally, the prevailing of the sword. Isaiah 55 verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. 
it. God takes ownership of this word. He says it's prevailing. We need to be those who have faith in the sword and use it because the sword prevails in the hands of those who trust it and use it. The Lord Jesus Christ used the word of God as he spoke to the lawyer in Luke ten twenty five. The, law, the lawyer came tempting him saying, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Savior turned him to the word. He said, what is written in the law? How readest thou? The Jews in Solomon's porch in John ten thirty four, the Savior says, is it not written in your law? And we could go on, look at the life of Christ. He kept taking men and women back to the scripture, to the word of God. Same with the apostles, Acts 17. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Down through the centuries, it has been the word of God, as it has rolled off the printing press, as it has been preached and expounded faithfully from the pulpit, as it has been shared from man to man, it has been the word that God has blessed for the transforming of the nations. Whenever David was fleeing from Ahimelech, or sorry, when he was fleeing from Saul, uh, he went in onto Ahimelech and he had no sword. And he said, I need a sword. And Ahimelech says, well, uh, the only sword that's here is Saul's sword, or um, sorry, Goliath's sword. And David says, give it me. There's none like it. Because David had remembered how In past days, God had blessed that sword in his hands. He knocked over Goliath and he went up to Goliath, cut off Goliath's head with his own sword because God had given him the victory and he remembered how God had blessed that sword in his hand before. Well, dear friend, friend, the more we trust the word, the more we live by the word, the more we share the word, the more we'll say there's none like it. I can't be without. It is this book that God has given for the advancement of the church. It's whenever the word of God goes into countries that countries are transformed. It's whenever the word of God is preached that Christ calls a people unto himself and transforms the nation. So let us not be those who in this day of declension in our own country are tempted to put down the sword. Let us be those who ever cherish the sword and seek to use it for the building of Christ's kingdom. Well, may the Lord bless his word to us here tonight. Well, I'd like to move on now and share with you some more of the work of the society, what we are engaged in. I'm always mindful that somebody might be at a meeting for the first time, and you're maybe not familiar with the uh, Trinitarian Bible Society, who we are and what we do. Well, in short, we're a Bible society and we translate the word of God, we print the word of God, and we distribute the word of God. And we are now in our 190th year and we give thanks to God for keeping us down through these uh, years. The main activities of the society, there's five. We translate the scriptures from the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek Textus Receptus where possible into many of the different languages of the world because many people are still waiting on the Bible being translated for them. 
You and I have the great luxury. We can go to bookshelves. We can go to a bookshop. And I dare say um, we can order it online and it'll be with us uh, via Amazon tomorrow morning if we really needed a Bible urgently. But there's many people in the world and they do not have that wonderful privilege that we have. So we seek to put the word of God in their own mother tongue so that they can hear of our blessed Redeemer. Once we have finished translating, we then seek to distribute the word of God. Sounds easy, but it's quite a, a difficult task. There's some countries where they don't want the word of God going into, like Cuba, like Iran, and uh, even other Muslim countries as well. But through various contacts in the Lord's goodness and providential leadings, we're able to get the word of God into many different countries. We seek to uphold the great doctrines of inspiration, inerrancy, preservation, as well as the doctrine of the Trinity. It's very sad to say that there are many, even within professing evangelicalism, who do not believe in the inspiration or inerrancy or the preservation of Scripture. I was contacted by somebody recently who commenced a Bible college not too far from here, and he was telling me that one of his lectures does not believe in the inspiration of certain parts of our Bible, does not believe that they should be in our Bible. Well, dear friends, this is a serious problem. So we take a stand upon these issues, and we're very thankful for those who stand with us. We promote Bible translations which are accurate and trustworthy, Some of these we have prepared ourselves, some have been prepared by our partners, but if they're faithful translations, faithful to the word, then we're more than happy to promote them. There's no point us uh, doing the same work that somebody else has already done. Uh, If it's faithful, we will promote it. And then we publish uh, a wide variety of scriptural items to help advance the word of God. It can be a Bible, a New Testament, a gospel, a scriptural calendar, and many other things as well. So that's the core activities. Just to break it down a little more, our translation uh, work, we have 66 projects that we are currently working on. And we give thanks to God for this because if I had a, uh, I can't remember if I was here last year, I think it was, uh, this time last year it was only 45 projects. So in the last year, the Lord has raised up 21 new projects of interest to us. Now, some of these are still in their infancy. We're still exploring uh, whether uh, a project can be completed. But we give thanks to God that faithful men have been raised up to give themselves to the vital task of Bible translation. Somebody asked me recently, why don't you just run it through Google Translate? You'd have it all done uh, in a matter of hours. Uh, But it's not as simple as that. Whenever you start getting into the complexities of the language, there's things that even Google can't translate very accurately. And especially whenever you're dealing with deep theological terms, you don't want to get these things wrong. You could lead people into error and into heresy and false doctrines. Uh, This is the word of God, and we have to handle it so carefully, just as they handled the ark with such reverence and awe and esteem in the Old Testament We must handle the word of God in the same way. I'll not mention all 66 projects here tonight, but I will mention some of the projects that we have recently completed. We generally start with the Gospel of John, and once the Gospel of John has been translated, then we print it while the translators work in the rest of the New Testament. And then once the New Testament is complete, we then move on to the Old Testament. 
And these are some of the projects that have been printed in the last two years. Some of particular interest, the Nepali Bible uh, for Nepal. That is actually our second edition of the Nepali Bible. And we uh, first printed it uh, about 10 years ago, about 12 years ago now. And there's been a huge hunger for the word of God in Nepal. But as with everything, we've uh, noted uh, improvements that could be made on our translation. So we've made those improvements and uh, updated them in the second edition. And I'll mention some more of these a little later on. So that is what we have done in the last two years. This is what is coming up in the next two years. So you'll see that it's been a very busy time with projects being completed and more projects due to be complete, completed. So we hope to have four completed Bibles in the next... Oh no, I'm looking at the wrong slide. Yes, four completed Bibles in the next uh, two years, six New Testaments completed, and then six Gospels of John as well. And you'll observe that some of these languages are going to reach hundreds of millions of people. If you add the Spanish, the Chinese, the French there, and the Hindi, you have probably just shy of two billion people. How amazing to think that uh, there's such a, a vast amount of people in the world that we can reach with the word of God. But then there's also some translations there for people uh, for groups of people who maybe don't run into the hundreds of millions of uh, people. But they're still souls who need to receive the word of God in their own mother tongue. Oh, I hadn't clicked on, had I? Sorry, I've just realized that. So these are the ones that are um, uh, due to be printed in the next two years. Well, I will move on now if I remember to click and uh, mention just the Bemba translation. In 2017, we partnered with an organization, the Free Grace Evangelistic Association, to prepare a Bemba a New Testament. And now the Bemba people uh, live in Zambia. They, Bemba is a major Bantu language spoken by the Bemba people and a further 18 related ethnic groups. This makes Bemba the most spoken indigenous language in Zambia with around 4 million people. Zambia is a landlocked country of rugged terrain and diverse wildlife with many parks and safari areas. And on its border is the famous Victoria Falls. Zambia has 10 provinces and Bemba is spoken in the central and northeastern regions. Now the Bemba people are commonly referred to as the forest people. Uh, I am told they live in rural villages built for inherited extended families. The villages consist of 30 to 50 huts that are made up of wattle and daub with grass as the roofs. Now disease is still a massive part of their lives. They live in an area with many tropical diseases such as malaria. Malnutrition is also affiliated with their culture. In fact the life expectancy of a Bemba female is only 34 years of age, or no, not 34, 54 years of age. And for the males, it's 52. So about 30 years less life expectancy than us here in the United Kingdom. In terms of religion, the Bemba people have their own conventional religion. They believe in a higher god called Lisa, who's supposed to live in the sky. He has control over things as thunder and fertility and so forth. 
But at the beginning of the 19th century, uh, Christian missionaries went amongst the Bemba people, and many were converted to Christianity, to such an extent that Christianity became the nominal religion of the Bemba people. I met a, a lady uh, whose mother was born and lived amongst the Bemba people for many years. I met her earlier this year. And uh, whenever this lady was young, her mother moved to England, raised her family there. But she said then her mother moved back to live amongst the Bemba people. And she goes and visits uh, every now and again. And she says Christianity would be the nominal religion there in the same way that it's the nominal religion in the United Kingdom. Many people will say they're Christians without truly being born again of the Spirit of God. And uh, a missionary was telling me that, uh, like many African countries, witchcraft and superstition is still a massive problem amongst the Bemba people. Well, we have four translators working on the Bemba translation. They finished the Gospel of John, and they are progressing with the New Testament. And here's one of the translators explaining the need for a new Bemba translation. Some so in many translations, there are some words which are missing, missing. Even, even some verses are missing. So it is important other translations. So it is important that all those translations are missing. So that all those words which are missing must be uh, uh, added to the Bible. The blessings of the Bible translations are that people who get the scripture in their own language and lives will change in amazing ways. They will be transformed as they discover Jesus Christ and enter into a right relationship with God. I am blessed uh, for making the scriptures available to people in a simple and easy understanding language of their own. Even I myself am also blessed because the easy language and simple uh, translation will even help uh, my family my church and other people who will be, will be getting this easy-to-read Bible translation in their own language. Lanai chindika nemwine umuti nishuandi wafie. Nitaata eu chindika. Uo inwe mutila. So please do remember the translators in your prayers and do pray for Zambia that as the gospel is being the gospel of John is being distributed at the moment that the Lord would bless it and there would even be an awakening amongst the Bemba people. That's a picture of Victoria Falls on the border with Zimbabwe. Uh, we were told an interesting story recently of a uh, missionary group that was over there and the man was looking to cross from Zambia into Zimbabwe, I think was the right way of it, and he was going through uh, customs and he had suitcases and they were just full of scripture. But the uh, customs officials thought, well, these must be worth a bit of money. Uh, so they were trying to get money off him, saying, oh, you have to pay to get into the country. Um, but uh, this man was determined he wasn't paying any money. He must have been Scottish, but he was determined he wasn't paying any money to get into the country. Uh, I can say that. My son's Scottish. So um, 
So um, he asked for the supervisor, and the supervisor came along. He looked in the suitcases, and he said, I will let you go uh, without paying anything if you give each of these men uh, one of your Gospels. And he thought, uh, he thought, well, this is a good deal, so I'll take that. So he was able to share the word of God and not have to pay anything to get uh, the scriptures into Zimbabwe. Well, moving on to mention the Turkish New Testament. Uh, the Bible speaks much of the land that you and I know today as Turkey. Going back as far as Genesis 15, we read of the Hittites, which is modern-day Turkey. Saul's hometown of Tarsus is there, as are most of the cities of his missionary journey. Peter wrote to the scattered strangers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, which is all modern-day Turkey. The Apostle John, he wrote to the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor, which is all which can all be identified in modern Turkey. And early church history was busy around here. The Nicaea, Chalcedon, Ephesus, Constantinople, these were the locations of important councils. So there's a rich Christian history in that land of Turkey. Now the language under the Ottomans became known as Turkish. It used to be written in several different scripts, Arabic, Armenian and Cyrillic. It was a widely spoken language. But in the 1920s, they adopted the Latin alphabet that we use um, as the standard form of the written language. It's estimated around 80 million people throughout the world speak Turkish. That's more uh, people than there are in the United Kingdom. But not just in Turkey. There's 2 million who speak Turkish in Germany, uh, 750,000 in Bulgaria, 150,000 in Cyprus, and 100,000 in Greece. So there's a lot of Turkish speakers scattered throughout the world. In terms of religion, well, Christianity permeated Asia Minor through the first centuries, but the growth of the Ottoman Empire in the 15th century brought with it a close association with Islam. The Ottomans were the custodians of all of Islam's holy sites. Now, in the 1920s, Turkey declared itself a new republic and a secular state, but it's still, in many ways, a, a Muslim country. In fact, there's a cultural expectation that if you're Turkish, you're expected to be Muslim. There's about 10 different minorities uh, in Turkey, Kurds, Gypsies, Syrians, and others. But what about evangelical Christians? How many? In a land of a population of, uh, I'm told, well over 80 million it's estimated that there's less than 2,000 evangelical Christians in the land of Turkey. How far the land of Asia Minor has turned from the word of God. Now there's a, quite a history with the Bible in Turkish. Going back to 1657, a man by the name of Ali Bey began translating the Bible into Turkish. It's quite remarkable because the man wasn't a Christian when he started, but he was it's believed by the time he finished translating the word of God. But his translation was never printed. It sat in the university library for 150 years until it was printed in 1819. They do have the Bible in modern Turkish, but again, it's not from the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek Texas Receptus. It's a work by a couple of societies and uh, from the modern critical text. And it's also not a reliable translation uh, uh, translationally either. Um, it's probably the equivalent of the English Good News version. 
So uh, in 2002, we printed the Gospel of John. We've reprinted it twice since then. We've completed the New Testament, uh, but sadly our translator passed away and he never got to see the fruit of his 20 years of labor. Uh, He has finished the Old Testament and it's going through the proofreading and check stages. We have printed 7,500 New Testaments and they will soon be available for distribution. So please pray as the word of God goes into Turkey that the Lord will use it and bless for the saving of many souls that there would even be a great awakening in the land of Asia Minor once again. Well, moving on quickly to mention some of the distribution work that we are engaged in. We distribute scripture in two ways. We sell Bibles to those who can afford to buy them, believing that if they can afford to pay for scripture, they should. They will treasure it a lot more. In the last two years, we have sold 8.2 million items. And as well as selling Bibles and scriptural items, we also give grants. Because there's many people in the world who cannot afford to buy a Bible. In some parts of Africa, a Bible will set you back the equivalent of one month's salary. That's how rare and expensive they are. I was told the story recently of a couple who traveled to a major city in Africa to try and find a Bible to buy. They traveled three days to get there, spent a couple of days searching the city, and then had to return home empty-handed. Imagine going to a major city in the world and not being able to find a Bible. So we seek to give grants so that men and women and children throughout the world do not have to um, do without the word of God. I'm going to show a brief video here. And uh, it's of the Simte Bible arriving amongst the Simte people who live in the Manipur region of India. For 11 years we've been revising our Simte Bible because the Simte language is still developing. Our Bible from 1991 is outdated they wouldn't they didn't understand it so we had to do uh, an update of it and these are some of the most uh, excited people you'll ever see to receive to see the bible arriving in their village for the very first time I haven't watched it all, but I'm told they were excited about every box that came off the lorry. They queued through the church and down into the streets to get their hands on their own copy of the Simte Bible. And then they held Thanksgiving services, praising God for the word of God arriving with them. Well, we do the Bible in many different languages. I'll just go through these quickly. Uh, In Russian and Ukrainian, there's been huge demand for these of late. Please pray for those scriptures as they go to those nations that the Lord will bless them. Uh, We ran out of Ukrainian scripture. We had to do a reprint and most of those have been ordered before they've even arrived in our warehouse. Uh, Scripture was distributed amongst young people in India 
and the Philippines. This is an evangelist picking up his parcels uh, to go out and share the word of God. In Zimbabwe, these pallets of, or this pallet of Bibles arrived for free distribution in Harare. The Chichewa New Testament was given out for free in Malawi. And the same in South Sudan, the English scriptures. And these children at a Sabbath school in Nigeria, the teacher wrote to us saying, thank you for making our children smile. To know what it's like in your house, but our children get a Bible for every occasion. Uh, our house is coming down with them. But for some of these people, this will be the only Bible they ever have to last them their whole lifetime. These workers at a health clinic in Nigeria. And we partnered with uh, another Bible society from the Netherlands to give away 100,000 Spanish New Testaments. These are some of the places where they have gone in Latin America and in Venezuela. Um, there are, it's very hard to get Bibles into Venezuela. It's uh, got sanctions imposed against it. So there's a group of young people who carry the Spanish New Testaments across the border from Colombia into Venezuela. So far, they've carried 5,000 New Testaments uh, across the border. Now, if, uh, if a box has 50 uh, New Testaments in it, you can do the maths later on and work out how many trips those young people made carrying those boxes of Bibles. The man who's overseeing it, a man uh, is now a Baptist pastor, a man by the name of Plinio. Fifteen years ago, that man was a member of a Satan-worshipping gang. They drank animal blood in rituals to the devil. They were going out to commit a robbery one day. He was walking down the street and he heard over the loudspeaker the preacher quote 1 John 1 9, the blood of Jesus Christ his son. And uh, it resonated with him and a short time later he was converted. A man who worshipped the devil heard one verse of scripture and the Lord opened his heart. Please pray for those Spanish New Testaments. The Lord is doing marvellous things in South America. Um, we've had issues getting out the word of God up in uh, train stations. Uh, our posters have been uh, popular throughout the world. Many people have wrote and thanked us um, for the word of God going up, saying the Lord has used it even in their conversion. We're trying a new thing now, bus stop posters, uh, where churches can sponsor a bus stop poster in their village so the word of God can be uh, displayed. Just some brief news and updates now. We've been able to get the word of God into schools. I had a small supply of the Platinum Jubilee Bibles and was able to get into some of the schools here in Northern Ireland with those. There's great overlap between the work of the Mission Board and the Trinitarian Bible Society. Here you'll see some of the uh, countries where we have shared interests. India, of course, being a massive one. There's uh, over 20 different languages in India, and we have projects in several different languages. Uh, for Kenya, the Kakamba and Swahili are recent projects, but we're glad to report they're progressing very well, and we hope to have uh, the Gospel of John printed in those, in those two languages in the next couple of years. We also sent a grant of um, Bibles to Uganda, uh, eight, oh, 864 Bibles, over 1,200 New Testaments, and 400 other scripture items for the children and for the staff there. Um, whenever news reached the wider community, the Bibles were available at Emmanuel. A number of people visited the mission station requesting copies of God's word. 
And this is all the more amazing given the school is located in a predominantly Muslim and Roman Catholic area. The Emmanuel Church Outreach team was also able to present New Testaments and Bibles to 30 inmates and 12 staff based at the local prison. In Kenya, we were also able to send uh, grants of scriptures, 420 Bibles, uh, yep, 300 New Testaments and 850 scriptural items, and they arrived last summer. As well as the printed page, we're also working on getting our scriptures online for people to go onto our website and read the Word of God. Some of our partners are turning our scripture into audio uh, for the uh, blind who cannot read and the many people who haven't learned to read uh, yet. They can listen to God's word that way. We're also working on a very unique translation, British Sign Language. There's around 150,000 people who use this in the UK. We're going to have videos on our website of uh, an experienced translator communicating the word of God by sign language. Uh, people often ask, what can we pray for? Well, one of the things we would ask for prayer is for our translators. Many of them are living in dangerous countries. In the past, people have been put in prison for being associated with the TBS and helping us with our work. Please pray also that the Lord would raise up more translators. Well, we employ well over 50 translators throughout the world, but we would love for those numbers to be multiplied and for many more projects to be started. We have a wide variety of items. I would direct you to our website. Very recently, we've brought out a new large print Bible. Uh, it's been very popular. Um, we also have a new booklet. You'll find our website too and other resources as well. Just one verse to leave with you before I hand back to the Reverend Kenny. A great reminder from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. Can we thank you for your interest and your support for the work of the society? I have some of our magazines on the table as you go out. Can I also mention we're hoping to have a day conference in uh, the House of Vic Rin Conference Centre on Wednesday the 9th of November. And there's a leaflet on that conference as well. You'll be very welcome to attend. And we look forward to seeing you all there. So thank you, Mr. Kim.